0: Okay, so tonight is uh, Tuesday, May twenty-six, two thousand fifteen, and uh, of course we had lots of thunderstorms today and fun activity, including a uh, the fire department had to come out to the church because the uh, there was a branch that fell down and was on the power line smoking, and um, so. In any case, uh, with the power out and the computers weren't working temporarily and so forth, we didn't get a lot of things done, so I may be a little disheveled tonight, but for those who are listening later on the podcast or or by CD, what we're trying to do this summer is basically uh, uh, teach on how to make disciples. So, the What's become current about evangelism is, if anything, uh, the church uh, over the last 150 years has kind of embraced this make a decision and get people to come to an altar, make a decision for Christ, pray a sinner's prayer, and almost anyone who studies this process has, has realized that we've gotten to the point where less than 5%, less than 1 out of 20 that do that, ever go on to show on to show any signs that they have actually been converted by Christ. And so, and uh, we in fact taught this past Sunday on a tool we use along that line called Five Vital Signs of Life. So, what we are trying to do is basically rethink things so that we can move from a decision making model of evangelism to a discipleship making model of evangelism. Jesus told us to go and make disciples. That's the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And uh, go, therefore, as a result of the authority, when you've met the authority of Christ yourself, you, you go, therefore, into all the world to make disciples. And, and then he doesn't leave you with no definition of what he means. A disciple is someone that you teach to observe, that is obey, follow, do all that Jesus has taught us. That is all the word of God, all the scriptures in every way, in every area. The Bible is very clear in 1 Samuel 15 and 1 Samuel 13 that incomplete obedience is disobedience. And so what we have degenerated to in our contemporary Christianity is this kind of idea that I can have Jesus as my Savior on my terms, and I can pick and choose what parts of the Christian life I want to obey and follow, in what ways I want to uh, make Jesus Lord, and I'm certainly not going to concede that he should be Lord of all, (laughs) or in any way, shape, or form. Very, very few Christians have it in their heart to want to actually follow Jesus in every way that's um, just not in the heart of most churchgoers today. So with that in mind, um, if you're listening on podcasts, I would probably, if you're new to Grace Christian Fellowship and some of our ideas, I would probably redirect you back to listening to the Sunday worship services that is usually done by John Weiss and uh, and or the Sunday school done by Greg Weiss. Um Before you get into these things, partly because these might be a little frustrating because I'm not necessarily trying to be as concise and well-prepared and and succinct and clear as as we would be on Sundays. Um, You know, we're – and we're not keeping them short and sweet like 40 minutes. We're talking on the average Tuesday and Thursday night in these training sessions more like 80 minutes and covering a lot of ground and sometimes like tonight because of all the – discombodulation with the storms I'm going to basically touch on three or four different subjects tonight so with that let's start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 uh, hopefully a verse that you've given some thought to already um we're going to read verse 13 and 14 and Paul when Paul says and for this reason, uh, by the way, in, uh, I love First Thessalonians one and two. I think uh, those uh, two chapters contain a lot of the things we're talking about. Um, and uh, so, uh, in fact, let's along that lines. Let's jump up, kind of a non-segue, but let's jump up to verse eight of chapter two for a minute. Uh, I love this. Uh, um in fact let's start in verse five but paul is t- Paul is recounting to the church in thessalonia thessalonica uh call in in first and second Thessalonians he is recounting um many of the principles he used and many of the ways they conducted themselves and many of the things that happened as he shared the gospel with them, proclaimed the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Uh, made, uh, formed disciples, and formed a church. And so he's tell- he tells us in the first two chapters of 1 Thessalonians a number of principles. So this would be uh, an assignment for you guys. Read those two chapters with that in mind a number of times and pick out some of the most important ideas uh, about... Uh, what it means to lead people to Christ, to form a church, to make disciples. This this idea, another idea we erroneously have today, is that Jesus is my personal Savior. Uh, the most common phrase in in so-called Bible-believing Christianity. But the problem is that were that phrase, "personal Savior," is not in the Bible even once. And uh, and you were in the in biblical times, you were always. Uh, you received you received the Lord Jesus Christ you repented of, of being in the kingdom of darkness you were delivered from self-determination and being your own god in and you you know you had to make him lord because what he's saving you from is being your own lord and he saved you into a way of life among a body of people called the church so um, you know there's all these ways in which we uh, have kind of twisted everything so that it's far less than God intended it to say. But I like. Uh, we'll start in verse five of chapter two, just for this tonight's purposes. And he says, "For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is a witness." Now, if you look at uh, and you analyze the message of most mega church uh, movements, there's a lot of flattering speech. You're about to have a great breakthrough, and, and it's almost as if God is your genie. He's your personal butler. <laughs> you know, the Psalms say he's a buckler, and uh, they've changed it into he's a butler. <laughs> um, you know, we never came with flattering speech or with a pretext for greed. Boy, that right there eliminates uh, most of the TV ministries and so forth. God is a witness. Nor did we seek glory from men. You know, the truth of the matter is to, in today's broken, twist, uh, twisted gospel and in and and all the divisiveness and so forth, uh, you know, to, to try to build something viable, there's a huge temptation to seek glory from men. But the spirit of Babel was let us make a name for ourselves. That one of the problems I have with the whole TV thing is, is that you have to be quite a bit of a self-promoter to succeed in that world. And you really have to be, uh, if, you, if you'll notice how many of the ministries are named after the individual, the so-and-so evangelistic associate or ministry Association. nor did we seek glory from men either from others, even though as apostles we might have asserted our authority, but we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. And these next few verses I can hardly read sometimes without crying, but hopefully I I don't feel like I'm on that wavelength tonight, so hopefully I'll be okay. But he says, having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. In the Greek there is our souke, our souls, because you had become very dear to us. You know, when you ta- impart your souls, you're talking about like like Paul did to Timothy. You've known my faith. You've known my doctrine. You've known my purpose. You know, um, it is not uncommon when we begin to work with someone who uh, had, who grew up in the church today, um, I often will ask someone after I've maybe spent two or three hours in, in a small group kind of discipleship with them individually or with just one or two other people or something like this, I'll say, um, uh, how, how much time did you ever spend with an older man of God uh, being discipled or with your pastor before? And many people will say in our very first meeting, I've now spent more time with you than I ever spent with my pastor ever. Wow. Uh, Many people will say, I've never been to my pastor's house. I've never been to Chipotle with my pastor. Or any—not that you have to go to Chipotle or Five Guys or 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 Frisch's or some ungodly place. Who knows? Hopefully not Taco Bell. No, that's that's unforgivable. But uh, no, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. But you know, have you ever done life together? Really? Thus, having a fond affection for you. This is so important. We are well pleased to impart servant leadership is accessible, not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. How could Paul say in other places, um, the things that you've observed and seen and heard in us, do these things, and the God of peace will be with you, if they didn't know Paul, if he didn't have dinner at their house, or dinner they had dinner at his house, or they went out to a uh, subway together, ancient world, sub- and had the Mediterranean, no, I'm just kidding, salad, and the, <laughs> and the Italian sub, no, I'm just kidding, but, uh, you know, they, you understand what I'm saying, uh, you you have to be willing to invest, anyway, jumping down to verse 13, uh, that was just no extra charge, that was just a sub point that I thought of it, that's understand what I'm saying. Um, I had a pastor friend tell, tell me, having uh, spent a lot of time, uh, visits our church every couple months, spends time here, knows all of our leaders, lots of our core people, I, uh, and has been a pastor in the church for over 50 years, tell me that he has never seen a church where the leadership gives as much to the people as this. He goes, the thing, I mean, you guys teach people to read, you teach people to do math, you you teach people how to get a driver's license, you teach people how to keep get a job and keep a job, uh, you know, how to write a resume, uh, why why education is important, how you know, one on one meetings about how to get started reading your Bible but why shouldn't it be like that as far as i understand jesus invited the the disciples to be with him you know in fact a, a verse that's neglected all the time is in mark 4 after jesus prays all night he says uh it says that he appointed the 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to teach there's sermons in that for there the first thing was we've got to be with God, and one way you can be with God is to be with uh, anointed, proven character, faithful, reliable leaders that you can model your life after. How else could you obey Hebrews 13, 7? Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of life to you, and considering the outcome of their way of life, imitate their faith. Now, how can you do that if you don't know what their way of life is? If you only see them on Sundays? The, the, you can't. So, you know, the New Testament just doesn't even make any sense to Christians who are living in this see you on Sunday, non personal, count success by how many people go through the turnstile kind of approach to Christianity. So, I just want to be clear that's not what we're advocating, that's not what we're teaching. You know, I had a, a man approach me recently, and he's 38 years old, and he just came to know Christ from being not a Christian at all. And he's been a Christian less than two months, and, and the Lord very dramatically worked on, it said, I want you to become a student of my word, and I want you to pre- proclaim and teach others my work. And he knows that's what he's supposed to do with his life. But he didn't know how to interpret that. Like, was he supposed to quit his job right now <laughs> and, uh, and uh, just start preaching the word and so forth? And uh, so I helped him say, not that. And, and just, just after a few conversations, uh, yesterday at a picnic, he said to me, um, now I understand that it's not about how fast I get there, but about doing it right. And uh, you know what? Paul was called by Jesus to be the apostle to the Gentiles. If you read Acts 9 plus the, uh, the, the other accounts of Paul's testimony when he's before Felix and Agrippa and in Galatians 1 and 2, it's very clear that Paul knew his calling to be the apostle of the Gentiles from his first encounter with Christ. He didn't actually start doing that till he'd been a Christian 14 years. And he knew the scriptures better than any pastor I've ever met before he encountered Christ. But he had to rethink the entire scripture from in the light of that the whole Old Testament is about Jesus and work it through to understand the kingdom the way God always intended uh, to reveal the kingdom in Christ. So, again, verse 13, and for this reason, we constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Now, um, this is very important. What I want to talk tonight about first of all even the uh, all that I said before is an introduction no extra charge that was really kind of off the topic frankly but but I'm glad we shared it good some some good stuff that, but what I want to focus us on now is this the word of god will do a work but you've got to have the word stored up in your mind and in your heart if you're going to uh be used of God, simple as that, because without that, what you have is my opinion, and uh, I've been a Christian now for 58 years, 58 years, I'm living living for 58 years, I've been a Christian for 41 years, I wouldn't give you two cents for my opinion, I. you know what, I really wouldn't, what we you know, like Paul talks to Timothy about reminding him of his ways which are in Christ, he says, "Be an imitator of me in first Corinthians eleven but he won, but he doesn't stop there. He says, "Be an imitator of me as I am of Christ. I wouldn't want you to imitate me incept in the in, in as so much as I'm imitating Christ, right, and you can't um they're not, their life isn't going to be changed by your word. So Paul rightfully says, you know, they saw a human being. I don't know if Paul was short, you know, possibly because of his name, Saul, uh, you know, be, because of his Pharisee background. Maybe he was shaved on his top of his head or maybe he was bald. Maybe he had a big nose. Maybe he was handsome. Maybe he wasn't handsome. I'd, I doubt he was handsome, but uh, we'll find out when we go to heaven, I guess. But uh uh in the meantime, he these people are seeing a human individual speaking a message to them, and he says, I thank God that you heard it for what it really is. Let's, let's analyze this verse a lot here tonight. Uh, for what it really is, the word of God and not of men. Now, we need to really know Scripture thoroughly, for it to be the word of God and not of men. That's why we deal with a lot of what we would call hermeneutical principles and presuppositions and ways of interpreting Scripture that came about in modern times that are different than the principles that the ancient church used and that the reformers tried to get back to. Because what we don't need is, is a uh, approach to God's word that reduces God's word to less than God intended it to mean. So all that's important. But uh, what I'm going to be advocating tonight is, uh, uh, is that if many of us have started this process, but I would really encourage you to get a, a, a plan and a program to memorize dozens upon dozens to even hundreds of scriptures. You, Because the word of God does the work. Like Paul, again, he said, I thank God that you received it for what it really is, the word of God and not of men, which does a work or performs, which works in those who believe. Now, who is the, who, who is the one who's going to believe? Let's make sure we understand theology correctly here. Okay. There's none who seeks for God. Romans 3. No, not one. Together they've turned aside, together they've become useless, right? Is that correct? And uh, they, they, Romans 1, they suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. So what do we know? We know that Jesus, Hebrews 12, is the author and the perfecter of faith. No one has faith in themselves, well, lots of people have faith in themselves, but that's misguided faith. <laughs> no no one in and of themselves has faith in Christ. So Jesus makes it clear no one can come unless the Father draws him, right? And uh, so um, John fifteen sixteen. you didn't choose me, but I choi- chose choice. I, that's, that's easy for me to say. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, right? Romans 8, uh, 29 and 30, um, for whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And those whom he uh, called predestined and and those who he chose, um, he also called and those who he called, he also justified and those he justified, he also glorified. God is the initiator of faith, Romans 10. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Now, one of the things you need to see about evangelism, if you're going to memorize scripture, is the word of God is powerful. If anybody knows uh, the, uh, the um, Baroque composer Vivaldi, who was a priest, he uh, wrote a great choral piece called Gloria, and uh, it has a piece in it that goes, Is not his word like a fire? You've heard it, it sounds like. And like a hammer that breaketh the rock, that breaketh the rock into pieces. Well, of course, this would be better if I actually could sing. But uh, <laughs> it's power, the word of God is powerful. It's our hammer that breaks rocks, it's a light unto our path, it's a lamp unto our feet. It's living Hebrews four twelve. It's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and able to judge between to divide between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Sin in the Bible is utterly sinful, and it's utterly, utterly blinding. Every person you meet outside of Christ is completely spiritually blind. They don't have reality at all. And the Word of God is able to help them begin to judge accurately the thoughts and intentions of their heart and grant them that great gift of conviction of sin that's a necessary prerequisite to receiving Christ. Does everybody get that? That's what Hebrews 4:12 is saying. It's, it's, the, the Word of God is living. It's not some, it's not some abstract thing. it's powerful. It's active, and it will work in those whom God has foreknown. We read a verse in Acts 13 earlier in our prayer meeting tonight that all those who are appointed to eternal life therefore believed. Why? Because we read previous verses, because they heard the message of the gospel. Of the kingdom of God, not just the Americanized, sugar-coated, sweet, and just the way you want like it, narcissistic, what God will do for you, and how He'll make you rich and prosper, you gospel, but the gospel of the kingdom of God, the real gospel. It will work, and we don't need to be particularly seeker-sensitive. You know why? Because no one's seeking anyway. (laughs) Jesus said, "I came to seek and to save that which is lost." The problem with the seeker-sensitive approach is it has no faith in the power of God, in the power of his word. It assumes that if I actually put any of the truth in it, or, and if I don't water it down, and if I don't make it, I try to remove the offenses. Now, I'm all for trying to remove us being offensive unnecessarily. But I am not for us removing the offenses of the gospel, because you're doing a person a great disservice uh, if if uh, if they're not hearing it correctly. You're even if they do get born into the family, you'll be you'll be setting the tone to raise spoiled children, which is what we have all over the. Christian map today so I guess that my first point is um, hopefully I got this back is you know we're uh, today uh, Deanna took a bunch of the scriptures I had in a list and she cut and pasted them out of both the New American Standard and the English Standard Version uh, two of the three uh, script um, Bible translations we recommend the most uh, as you if you know anything about it, you know there's what's called literal equivalence, which is uh, what the New American Standard and ESV are based on. The New King James is based on a thing called complete equivalence, which we like uh, but but there's some problems with the concept of dynamic equivalence uh, and um, and there's lots of problems with the concept of a paraphrase so, I would recommend that you use the New American Standard Bible and the English Standard to do your scripture memorizing, so we put uh, a lot of them here so let let me give you just a couple scriptures just to just to uh get this started um john eight thirty and thirty one so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, "If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine." And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So it's not wrong to understand uh, Jesus wants to make you free. And one of the things we most need to help people in interpreting that verse is that the modern idea of freedom, which is the number one value that all that, uh, almost all the hedonistic, uh, selfish, uh, millennial generation, post-Christian world that we're dealing with, Most people, their number one goal is to be free. But by freedom, they mean the freedom to do whatever they want to do, how they want to do it, when they want to do it, why they want to do it with no restraints. But they're not, because of their education levels and so forth, even the the ones that have PhDs and so forth, are not philosophically capable of understanding that that's a great kind of slavery. Because if you get your way and if you are your own God determining for yourself good from evil, which is the very first line that that Satan used to bring sin into the human race, if you're, de- you're your own God determining good from evil, you will quickly become a slave to every whim and fancy and desire uh, that you have. That's why we have a culture where we're the vast majority of people have some sort of addiction problem. Not, not one or two. This is not a minor thing. This is a culture of addiction. And people even use the phrase, my drug of choice. In other words, which addictions am I trying to uh, keep some control of to some level where it's not killing me <laughs> or that it's going to kill me slower? That's not what the Bible calls freedom. Slaves to appetites of all kinds. So the word of God uh, can set you free in the way the Bible calls freedom, which is to be more and more in harmony with how you were created to be. If you seek to save your own soul life and self-determination, you'll lose it. But if you seek to lose it for Christ's sake, in Christ, the perfect human being, the second Adam, the restoration of what man was intended to be, in Christ, you'll become everything that, was, that you had the potential for. And you'll become a person who's so, so selfless, so giving, so humble, so uh, self-sacrificing, so wise, so knowledgeable, that if you were to see it now, you couldn't believe it. But even in this lifetime, as you walk with God, he'll be making you from glory to glory. He'll be changing you into his image until you, the, a mature Christian should be a, a, a superman. Now, if you know anything about Nietzsche, I chose that on purpose, not about Marvel comics. (laughs) Uh, In his philosophy that, that, you know, humanistic man was going to become the Superman and evolve into the Superman. Well, Christ was the Superman, is the Superman, always will be the Superman. And in Christ, you can become progressively like him and become a creature that you never knew that you could have become. All right, so that's just our starting point today. So we will be getting, uh, just on a practical level, we'll be getting these scriptures to you in a certain number of ways. One is we're going to be doing them on a kind of a um, two and three-quarters inches by uh, four and a quarter wide by two and three-quarters high, uh, uh, you know, like almost a little smaller than a three-by-five note card. We're going to get them to you on little card stock. And um, and we're gonna do them by colors, so that as we go through uh, the later uh, tonight, we boy we got started late. Does anybody is everyone good for staying for a while? Or we're because we. What's that? Oh, twelve thirty, four o'clock in the morning, something like that. We'll get you to work on time. <laughs> what's that? That's right. So, all right. So, um. But we'll we'll as we go through this, you know, I'm hoping to get to an overview of the seven essentials of the gospel a little bit tonight. But we'll have these by some categories. Like the first category will be why you need be the things about the Bible and the importance of Bible study. And if you want to get started on this, I gave that handout that we use in our search the scriptures, and it's got lots of scriptures cut and pasted on it by range by 14 topics about why you need to know scripture. And if you'll look at that first part called tips to getting started and growing our hunger to read and study God's word, I would encourage you to regularly often pray for a hunger for God's word. And as you study and meditate on God's word, um, passion begets passion. The better your marriage gets, the better your marriage gets. Now, when you've been married 30 some years, you just you know that like my my marriage always gets better all the time because I love my wife. and My life loves me. And we've shared so much together. and We've made so many sacrifices and and it's just getting better. And walking with God is kind of is like that. It's it gets better. And you, if you're if you're really hungry for God's the things of God and you're really on fire for him. Then you'll get really hungry and really on fire, and it kind of snowballs. Um, if you're apathetic, you'll probably stay in the same place with God for years. But if you're if you're thirsty and hungry, uh, if you seek, you'll be satisfied. You'll find Him. So um, look at that first section. I'm not going to get into much more of it on tips to getting started, but I do want you all to be able to, uh, maybe we should get into this, because but from this point of view, because some of you, like Bob's heard this so many times because he's been in that Bible study, so he's probably tired of it. But uh, the rest of you haven't. And here's the thing, when you're working with somebody, one of the things you, you want to pray for and hope for is that God will give them a love for the scriptures. Remember Sunday, we talked about the vital signs of life and a sign that God is birthing someone into the kingdom is 1 Peter 2, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. One of the reasons I knew God was working with John Bradbury as deeply as he was, was because John Bradbury, the first time he came to church, he uh, very was, you know, this is always a good sign, he was ruthlessly honest with me. He said, hey, you know, my, uh, my, you know, I went to church a couple times when I growing up, but didn't seem that, like it was much. I'm pretty sure I'm an atheist. I don't know if there's a God. Uh, so, and uh, not really sure I really want to come to a church because I'm afraid I'll be judged and so forth. So I put his mind at ease about uh, the fact of why we would accept you, where who you are, why you are acceptance as you are, empowerment to grow, you know, and as our slogan, one of our slogans. And, um, and, uh, then I also told him a little bit about our approach to grace and about how bad my background was. And I, you know, said another one of our slogans is at Grace Christian Fellowship, we put the fun back in dysfunctional, but, uh, no, (laughs) but. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, yeah, but uh so uh you know and he, you know i his mind was at ease and he said sure I, i'll look into this and i gave him a book called more than a carpenter by Josh mcdowell to read and it's maybe not the best book and uh, apologetics wise it's what's called evidential apologetics some people would say i should have started them off more with presuppositional apologetics whatever It was, But, you know, it was a good sign to me. He read it by the time we got together for breakfast the following Thursday, four days later. And he said, you know what? I never considered the fact that there might actually be real evidences for the fact that there's a God and perhaps Christianity had us a bunch of evidence behind it and so forth. He wasn't convinced yet, but he was convinced enough to start reading his Bible and start having Bible studies. So, and then it was because from the very beginning, he started reading a lot of scripture. Over time, the word of God did the work in him. So we need to all hear that. Like if there's anything you know about how to make disciples, it's the word of God will do the work. When God, Jesus, the author and perfecter of their faith is uniting it with faith. And the truth is this talk that we all have that I led so-and-so to Christ is a little bit nonsense. At best, we're kind of midwives, you know, like I participated in the birth (laughs) is more accurate. I played a role by inviting him to church in the first place, or I had weekly Bible studies with him. Uh, I, uh, I can remember specific times with John Bradbury where, because I prayed ahead of time and God gave me some insights in a couple of cases, I had never per- taken that particular approach to helping someone see the truths of the gospel that I was taking with him. And it clearly opened his eyes because it was God's ideas. So, uh, you know the the word of God will do its work, is what we're trying to basically say there. And uh, so what? And so here's here's some things about how to grow a hunger for the Word in yourself. And this I would encourage you to try to do with those who you're ministering to. Um, one is you got to think about the fact that um, without goals and I'm on 1A, by the way, of the Bible and the importance of Bible study. If you, Without goals, you pretty much accomplish anything. If there's anything that's characteristic of, uh, you know, they, they talk a lot about, it, especially how young men are still playing video games and not progressing vocationally, like 60% of college students are women. And and there's, we have this huge problem with uh, with the male gender, not growing up in our culture. And and thinking that being a grown up means that they, you know, I, I always see these gray haired guys driving little sports cars, and I'm like, they, you know, you can tell like their idea of uh, being a grown up is to have enough money to have more expensive toys than they had when they were a little child, and they're still pretty much childish in their approach to life and selfish, and and because uh, frankly, if, and I, I'll, I'll stand, I might want to be legalistic or something. But the truth of the matter is, uh, why don't they have a soccer van and co- help some inner city kids or and what? You know what I'm saying? What, what can, can you imagine being past high school and you still care about being cool? <laughs> you know, I mean, really? <laughs> have mercy on us. Uh, what? <laughs> so um, the first thing is most most people don't have goals nowadays and in fact you know that we focus a lot on inner city ministry and one of the parts of the culture of poverty is you have no long-term thinking that's goal oriented whatever money you get you spend it right away you don't have long-term financial goals of savings investment and capitalizing a business right um you don't have you don't have scripture study goals you don't have goals about your health and your longevity you don't have goals about your diet and nutrition you don't have goals for your marriage you don't have goals for your kids you don't just don't have goals that's become more and more our culture and people are just getting through each day they're alive but they're not really living and they're just meandering through life and there's an old saying the path of least resistance makes both rivers and people crooked they're just they're becoming crooked in their character and more and more enslaved to various appetites and so forth partly because they don't have any framework they don't have any goals and, of course, the goal is to know the God who created you, and the goal is to have him change you, which you're unable to do yourself, to be like him. And it's okay to talk with someone you're just sharing the gospel with about that that way, and you can't become like him in, in, at all. The Christian life isn't difficult. It's impossible, and uh and that's what the whole point of the Christian life is is you you don't save yourself he rescues you and he changes you and he empowers you and uh but you can posture yourself towards towards growing in him and one of the first things you need to do is have goals about reading the bible because as the as not You know, the church doesn't emphasize this today, but it did for the first eight or so centuries. Jesus Christ is called the word of God in John chapter one and in Revelation and in other places. Right. And that word is the living word. The Bible is the written word and the entire Bible was written so that we might find the living word in the pages of the written word. Old Testament and New Testament is all about Jesus, as these scriptures in Roman numeral 2 1 uh, would get you started. The first subject of the 14 subjects we have about scripture is that if you seek, if you, that the scriptures about Jesus, you'll seek Him, you'll find Him, you'll know Him if you know your Bible. So the first thing you want to do is, ask, is give them a goal. Now, here's an important thing. Goal-setting uh, has to be age-appropriate, education-appropriate, and motivational appropriate We have a lot of people in our culture who are very passive. We have a lot of people who are in college who read at what used to be considered a grade school level. We have a lot of people who've never, uh, maybe, you can, maybe you can tell Sometimes you can tell by how flabby they are. Whatever reason you can tell sometimes that they've never really achieved anything or accomplished much of anything. One of the reasons we want to start a Christian scout troop someday is because getting merit badges is basically saying, I accomplished this little thing. And, and then hopefully you can build on that. You get a bunch of them in a row <laughs> over several years. So, uh, don't set the goals too high when you're working with someone. My per- personally, I believe you should just encourage them to start in Matthew one and read at least one chapter of scripture each day. But uh, and it becomes a sign like the ones that I've worked with, who are still in Matthew chapter eight after six months. They just usually don't go anywhere. We had a, a young man from Wright State that was like that today, this year. He, we started him off at the beginning of the fall, and he said, I, I grew up Christian, but I've never experienced the presence of God, and I would like to know God, and so forth. And we gave him Matthew to read, and uh, he never even got through. the In the whole school year, he never got through even half of the book of Matthew, partly because he couldn't even read in a grade school level. Um, so that's why we use things like the English standard version, which is accurate, but easy to understand. Uh, so in other words, tailor the goal to who you're dealing with as best you can. But the reason I like starting with reading the gospels is simply this Matthew 16, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say Moses, some say one of the prophets, And he says, but who do you say I am? Christianity falls or rises on who you say Jesus is. Every false religion still has some version of Jesus because he's an undeniable historical figure. But for instance, Islam says, well, the scriptures, the New Testament, forget it, throw it out because they all... That wasn't who, the disciples made up a new Jesus after he ascended to be with the Father. And so uh, Christianity is nonsense because they don't acknowledge what you would study uh, in, in um, part uh, four, um, five of this, of the eight essentials, Jesus Christ, the solution. They would not acknowledge a Christian view of Christology or the study of the person of Christ. His deity, so forth. The Mormons have a version of Jesus. They even call themselves the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints, but it's not, it's the Book of Mormon's view of Jesus, not the Book of the Bible's view of Jesus. So their Jesus is one of the first people who realized that all of us are God. So they're exactly they're exactly defining their religion according to what the serpent told Eve in Genesis three It's a very satanic religion. you are god <laughs> that's the the issue of Mormonism so of course they believe in a Jesus but they believe in a redefined jesus so um in terms of the scriptures let's look at uh The first thing you want to do is get them reading the the Bible, and it's not just, um, you get a lot of guys who go, well, I'm just going to start in Genesis and and go through. I would encourage you not to have them do that unless they've got a lot of background. Because the the Gospels deal first and foremost with, with who is Jesus. Now, the whole Bible does. But it's a little bit like you have to take, uh, you know, you have to take chemistry 101 before you take chemistry 539, <laughs> you, know, you know, grad school chemistry. And uh, the whole point of the Gospels is, as John says at the end of his Gospel, is I write these things so that you may know uh, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And by knowing him, you might and having faith in his name and so you might have eternal life and so forth. Second thing... Uh, about setting goals is grow their hunger. every appetite you feed grows in power, so when you uh, when you can have an ongoing weekly Bible study with them. try to get them on our turf, so to speak, for rock campus fellowship Bible studies and or grace Christian fellowship Bible studies and um, but give them a little bit to eat spiritually all the time and pray. Constantly help me give them the right scriptures with the right explanation that it will start to open their eyes. So I kind of want to I'm doing potpourri tonight, but I wanted to cover that. Everyone get that? And and that's why you're gonna get a, a whole we're gonna be working on giving you a whole bunch of scriptures and they're gonna be color coded. So there will be like uh scriptures on why you need to know the scriptures. And frankly, that's what this, the Bible on the importance of so Bible study is. But then akin to that, and I don't think we'll make it separate, is why what what the scripture will do in them. And if you get those ideas put together in your head, you'll you'll be motivated to memorize scripture. Because the word of God will do a work in those who God is giving faith to. And as he told Paul at one point, he said, "I want you to stay in the city and continue to proclaim my kingdom, because I have many people in the city." Guess what? God is bringing people to right state that He intends us to share the gospel with, and there's many of them. All right, good there. Um, if you. All right, so let's go over to the outline called Eight Essentials of the Biblical Christian Gospel. Um, I may reteach on this this coming Sunday. But if you noticed, uh, we did uh, a couple Sundays ago, we did Roman numeral one there on your notes. This past Sunday, we did both. I did both messages because John was out of town. And we did a lot of Roman numeral two on the two Sundays. So if you don't, if you, um, I I just uh, would encourage you, you need to have the five vital signs of life memorized. And not just in some way like you can regurgitate them on a test, but you, they need to be a, a, something that you use as you befriend uh, someone who is coming to Rock Campus Fellowship and/or Grace Christian Fellowship to kind of analyze what's God doing in their life. You can't pray for them effectively without knowing the five final signs of life. By the way, in uh, when you get, those of you who are taking the theology class, which apparently is everybody in this room, <laughs> uh, uh, those of you who are taking the theology class with Ray Nethery, um, when you get to the section i think is the sixth section or seventh section of, in the in the class about the doctrines of salvation and the fancy word is soteriology and you go through the effectual calling of the gospel and then regeneration and conversion and all these kind of things um oh yeah and in the uh the chapter on conversion First of all, Wayne Grudem has a very good section on why he argues that for not using the word believe or faith, because we've made it an intellectually abstract idea in our culture that has nothing to do with the reality of what you really believe, or because what you really believe was is demonstrated by what you practice. That's what James, the epistle of James tells us. You show me your faith uh, without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works, <laughs> you know? And so... Uh, how you live is an outworking of what you really believe. That's lots of scriptures I could throw at that, like Hebrews thirteen seven, James two, whatever. Um, the whole section of James two is about that. Um, I'm losing my train of thought here so in and so he has this whole argument for why we should call it trust because if you cling to follow obey become a disciple of that's what it really means to have faith but then he has another section in the same uh chapter that's that's excellent uh about true and false conversion jesus dealt with true and false conversion in the parables of the tares and so forth uh Paul has the 2 Corinthians 13, 5 that we use Sunday, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith, uh, or do you not know that Christ is in you unless you indeed fail the test? So he's basically, we know how to read the reverse negative. That means there are people who think there are Christians that that maybe go to the church that, that aren't Christians. So interestingly, Wayne Grudem has uh, a, in terms of how to know a true convert from a false convert, he actually has uh, 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 two uh, signs that happen internally that only the person would be able to observe as to whether they're truly conversion, converted, and he has five outward signs that you could observe from their life. I call them empirical because you know empiricism is a scientific word for how what you can observe. And his five empirical signs are exactly uh, our five vital signs of life. 100% overlap. Now, he wrote that uh, book in the 90s, and that concept goes back with us till uh, uh, mid-80s, early 80s. So we didn't necessarily get it from him, but but what it demonstrates is that he got it from the Scriptures, and we got it from the Scriptures. That's as simple as that. Anybody who's actually saying something worth hearing is plagiarizing from the Scriptures. (laughs) That's kind of the goal in Christian teaching. Not to have great new ideas, but uh, we're trying to be faithful to the, the truths God has revealed. Does everyone get that? So, uh, I'm not going to reteach on the five vital signs of life tonight. I'm just going to encourage you that you need to know them to even pray effectively. Secondly, we talked about the five uh, first steps in entering the kingdom of Christ. We'll do a whole teaching on that another night because it's late. Um... As you study Rain Grudem's uh, stuff, you, one of the things you'll see is after he t- he talks about what we're talking about tonight, how the Word of God does the work, and, and that's called the effectual calling of the gospel. There are God, people God foreknows and predestined and has chosen. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, and God is destined for them to hear the gospel through believers, to to, and the Word of God heard through believers by the Holy Spirit will produce the faith in them. That's why it is actually kind of absurd that many people who believe in a bigger picture of God, a a predestination view of God, a sovereign view of God, are actually very inactive with their faith outside the church because they say, well, if God wants to save me, he will or something. That's never a true interpretation of the sovereignty of God. Any kind of interpretation of God's foreknowledge and God's predestination and adoption and all the... All the different uh, doctrines of soteriology that leads to evangelistic inactivity is a deception. It should lead all the more to evangelistic activity, and it should straighten us out. Our first motive is not our compassion for the lost. Our first motive is our love for God. And our, our joy in proclaiming his kingdom. And our joy in obeying his great commission. That's very important that you ask God to get that straight in your heart. I'm all for compassion for the lost. I think that's a, that's a good thing, but it's not our first motive. Did anybody ever think about that before? I can see Deanna did. As soon as I said that, she reacted. Yeah, that's really important. The reason we share the gospel is first and foremost because He told us to. And Jesus said in John fifteen, or John fourteen, verse fifteen, in John fourteen twenty one, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. So you know what? Guess what? If there's some some um, some worldly person is nasty to you and and shoots you know hate you for being a Christian and persecute you or whatever reason, and you 're so shallow that you can't come to to actually forgive them and and love them and pray for them and like them uh you're still supposed to share the gospel with them <laughs> and love them because he told you to. Now, hopefully, you're not in the same place Jonah was, where he eventually obeyed the Lord and and proclaimed the kingdom and repentance to the city of Nineveh. But he didn't. He was hoping they wouldn't receive the message in his heart, right? <laughs> uh, but you know what? As Paul said, whether in pretense or truth, the gospel still proclaimed, and I and in that he rejoices. You know, I rejoice that Jonah. Uh, proclaimed the, the kingdom to Nineveh and God granted them their repentance even though Jonah didn't do it with right motives. <laughs> right? Now, all the better to get your motives right. But their first motive is your love for God. Secondarily, your your compassion for the lost. Because Jesus, as you partner with him, what like Paul talks about the fellowship of his sufferings, as you want to know jesus and that's your real motive you want to know his compassion for the loss you want to know in your spiritual being you want to actually be able to experience what he experienced at lazarus's tomb and you want to know why he wept Anybody ever think much about why Jesus wept? It's a little bit ironic, isn't it? Because didn't he uh, make it clear to his disciples that he purposely stalled two or three days so that God might be glorified? He waited to go till Lazarus died. And he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. So why did he weep? Again, the obvious answer would be the second level of answer. Of motivation, people would say because um, because he his great friendship with Lazarus and his two sisters Martha and Mary, and he and he um, empathized with and felt in the depth of his spirit. He he was spiritually sensitive and full of compassion. Often says Jesus moved with compassion, did this or that. Uh, so he feels their grief, but of but the that's the secondary motivation. The primary reason is because in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, man was not created to die in the first place. Man was created to eat of the tree of life, which is, of course, Christ. And, man, and, and Jesus knew uh, the, his whole mission was to come here and die to conquer death. And he knew Lazarus wasn't ever meant to die in the first place. And no one was meant to go through this great grieving process and, and so forth. And he feels the full weight of that. And as, as you walk with God and are more intimate with him and stay with him for many, many years uh, and spend lots of time sitting at his feet, listening to his word, you'll feel the impact of that. And gotta work that into the essence of who you are. Which is an awesome journey to be on. Now we never totally get there in this life, but you, but God can cause us to make leaps and bounds progress there. So does everyone get that uh, what we're saying there now? As you study that um, regeneration and conversion, we'll study those some other night in more detail. You'll be studying them in the systematic theology class. Twenty minutes ago, okay. Um, So we understand that regeneration is when God quickens their spirit and they they begin to be able to hear the word of God speaking to them. They begin, as Bob prayed about earlier tonight, the clarity of scripture starts to happen for them. The clarity of scripture is for everyone God's calling. God is what, who start, God starts to open their eyes to make this, the, the veil is removed in Christ. right and um so with regeneration also should come a a new creation a new heart uh God begins to to put he puts the the light the seed of Christ in them in such a way as gradually their their heart becomes his heart and they they a sign you should look for is they start having a hunger and thirst for righteousness I'm always, you know, you know, if I, I'm always worried when I'm ministering to, we have several examples. I probably don't really want to put any of their names on the SCD, uh, but we've had people we've worked with at Wright State and other places where it's always, what's the minimum I can do? Do I have to read the Bible to be a Christian? Do I have to get water baptized? Do I have to quit my, you know, internet porn? Or Do I have to... Uh, get more serious about my schoolwork or it's always a light like, like what's the what's the most selfish and childish and immature I can stay and still have Christ in my life how can I def- how can I ha- how can I keep Christ from from actually coming into my life how can I have him on my terms <laughs> and then you have other people who just are like right away they're like yeah I want to get my act together and you know now they can't do it on that's that, that eventually leads to them hearing about grace, but they begin to want whatever God wants for them. And that should happen at regeneration. Conversion should uh, cause them to confess their sin, not just their sins, but their whole need for God. Confession, homilikeo is the Greek word, right? You should know this. You should know this kind of stuff. Um, and it means to say the same thing God says. And there's two kinds of confession that happen at the beginning of Christian life. First, the confessing of your sins and your sin. We'll call that one kind, A and B. Your individual sins, God might convict you of specific things, if because uh, we all have various ones that are heinous in different ways. Mostly our neglect of God and our running from him and so forth is the biggest sin. And our sin nature that leads us to do so, Right. But their second kind of confession that has to happen is if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father and before the angels of heaven. One of the reasons it's a sign of conversion. If people are asking you, when can I get baptized is because they want to publicly confess Christ and, and, and ceremonially enter into his covenant. Right now here's the problem we're up against because of the, religious confusion uh culture that we're in and because of the narcissistic culture we're in and the immaturity and because people are in many cases locked it's some kind of a emotional development or intellectual development problem it's sometimes kind of hard to know when they've been regenerated and converted and when they're starting to be sanctified and matured does that make sense and sometimes if their sins are particularly crazy, you know, like I, I we've led people to Christ who uh, two or three times a week uh, meet someone on the Internet and go have sex with them. And, you know, and we met people that are addicted to every sort of drug you wouldn't want to know about. Uh, you know, we've helped people come to Christ that that uh, just uh, have are four hundred thousand dollars in debt because they, you know, can't stop gambling or, or they can't stop spending money foolishly or whatever. So, um, in some of those cases, uh, like their behavior beginning to come around, might be a little slow, but there might really be true signs of life. And it gets down to one of the five vital signs of life, if you remember, is the desire for all God has for him. Look for that and a desire to change your lifestyle in conformity with Christ. If they're saying things like I'm really having trouble getting set free from drinking, but I really want to quit drinking, that's a good sign. It took me six months of being convicted about my drug use before God set me free from being addicted to drugs but I was reading the Bible. I started coming to church. I had some experiences with the presence of God. I just hadn't got set free and made Jesus Lord of all yet. So hopefully everyone gets that. And that, and that's something that the community helps. If you're unclear, uh, you know, ask the person, can I, can I, can we talk to one of the leaders about how you're doing and, and get some help with this? Sometimes I bring other people in to help. Like I'll, like if someone is particularly a tough case, and I, and, uh, I'll ask someone else to help me disciple them. So because they might need someone to meet with them two or three times a week, and I may, maybe can't afford to do that. So that's Roman numeral two two on this outline. Um, I Think I got enough time. I'm not going to talk about the five steps tonight, but I got enough time to cover born out of the spirit. The absolute necessity of getting them on our turf. Let's read John, chapter three, uh, the first five or eight verses, with the account of Nicodemus coming to Christ at night. Now, all through the Gospel of John, Jesus uh, or John contrast um, the religious blindness of re- the blindness of religion and and the, it, its lack of power to deliver you from self-centeredness and self-determination and to grant you spiritual insight, and he, call, and he calls that darkness. So Nicodemus, because he's a religious Pharisee and he's blind, he comes at night to Jesus. That's symbolically important because those you know who want the truth come to the light as he says when he in many places through the Gospel of John, Lazarus, everything else. And Nicodemus, uh, a Pharisee of the Jews, he comes to Jesus, says, Rabbi, you know, and he's really just doing flattery. Uh, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one does the things that you do unless God is. And then Jesus. Now, here's the problem that people have. People think Jesus answers a different question than what people say. He never does that. So just because the answer might be a little bit cryptic to your natural mind at first, um, Jesus is always answering the point at hand. So Nicodemus is really wanting to know, what's what's it all about? He's basically asking, what is life? You're from God. Tell me the secret to life. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot perceive the kingdom of God you can't see it because when you're blind you think you're free you think you live in what the bible calls the domain of darkness but you don't realize you're blind or deaf dumb and stupid spiritually or in in living in darkness you don't realize that you're a slave to your will in 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 that uh, your 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 addictions your passions your uh, your control freak problem or your your alcohol problem or or what your lust problem or or any combinations thereof, you can't see until you're born again that there that you're actually under the domain of darkness and you need to be set free to be under the domain of Christ to become the person you were always intended to be. It's more than forgiveness, it's reconciliation, it's adoption. And when you become a part of a family, you grow up to be like the family members. If Most people are a lot like their parents. <laughs> and that's really important to see. And that's why you not only need scripture, and so you need to be disciple. You need a new spiritual father, new spiritual mother to help, help you grow. Then Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time in his mother's womb. Uh, So Jesus, he's basically saying, what do you talk about being born again? I don't get it. How could you actually fit back in your mom's womb? He's totally natural-minded, right? And Jesus answers him, but Jesus understands the ways of the kingdom and the spirit, of course. Uh, He invented them. So uh, he says, i say to you unless one is born out of water the greek word ek means out of and the spirit he cannot enter that is come out of the dominion of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son colossians 1 13. and he further defines it by saying that which is born of flesh is flesh the first time you're born you're of the adamic nature you're of human nature you're born blind and spiritually dead but that which is born of the spirit that is that which is reborn by the spirit of god is spirit Don't marvel that I say you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Anyone who's born of the Spirit understands where they're born again from. Anyone who's not born again doesn't get it. It's as simple as that. That's why Jesus says wisdom is vindicated by her children. Only those who have wisdom know they have wisdom. Uh There's, you know, like in the mafia, they call them wise acres and and that kind of stuff. Lots of people who have no wisdom think they have wisdom. But only people who God has actually visited with wisdom actually have wisdom. And when you have wisdom, you know that you know that you know that you have the wisdom of God. So that's, you know, that's what's going on here. So now, so I say all that to say this. It's important to see that people are born in the natural after a conception and a prenatal development period, and, uh, and they're born out of a sack of water. In the spiritual, people are born out of the Holy Spirit, and there's a developmental period. Now, it's not necessarily anything to do with nine months, because in the natural, you're subject to the time space continuum, so a baby won't go through the proper prenatal development. The closer you get to nine months before the baby's born, the easier it is for the baby to be born healthy and viable now, thanks to modern science, they can save babies that are born at four and four and a half months now, but in incubators and staying in the hospital until the, for several months and so forth. But in the natural and that's what we're doing like with our with our With our decision-making approach, uh, how am I doing for minutes? We, what we, uh, how many? Okay. With our decision-making approach, um, is that going to keep me under 80? Okay. So with our decision-making approach, what we're doing is we're, everyone wants to get a, uh, it's, it's, there's too much of man's vainglory. We want to get a notch on our belt. So we're praying with people to receive Christ before they fully, spiritually, prenatally developed. And that's one of the things I want us to learn and teach this summer and and think about is there's a process of conviction, a process of drawing, a process of faith starting to grow. There's a process of, of new birth and so forth. And you want to properly, fully lead people to Christ in a full biblical conversion. Otherwise, what we have today is a lot of people are being born with spiritual birth defects, so to speak. Does that make sense? Now, okay, so, um, so this is really important. Um, people, just like in the natural, people grow up in a sack of water. Jesus is saying you have to be born out of the Spirit. In the natural, it it makes a great difference who the mother is and how healthy she is and what kind of diet she has. And if she takes her prenatal vitamins and if she gets plenty of sleep Uh, in Europe, they think it's okay to drink wine while you're still pregnant. In America, they don't and so forth. But there's nobody with any medical knowledge that thinks it's okay to smoke while you're pregnant and so forth, right? It makes a difference. You know, there's babies that are born to crack mothers and so forth uh, have lifelong defects. Likewise, what kind of church they're getting born out of helps a, it makes a huge difference. Because every seed brings forth its own kind. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees because they traveled all over the Roman Empire to make one convert, then they turned them into twice as much a son of hell as they were. You've got to uh, be a part of a healthy community of believers that's radically obeying God in every way if you're going to bear good fruit. It's not important how big it is. It's, how imp- it's important how godly it is and how Christ-like it is and how serious they are. And, and the Spirit always works with the Word. I cannot speak without my breath going forth. So these things about keeping them in the word goes hand in hand with keeping them, uh, you know, worship creates an atmosphere of the spirit. Prayer creates an atmosphere of the spirit. People who actually do the will of God instead of go to church and do their own thing. You know, it's one of the reasons we're going to this covenant church membership idea and so forth. You know, we've got to solve the problem of we, uh, we have people who come here. Uh, who are still addicted to alcohol or still won't get a job or or after three or four years. We want to be gracious. We want to love people. We want to help them. But there comes a point where the Bible clearly says if someone won't work, neither let them eat and don't even hang around people like that. And so, you know, uh, the what kind of Christians we are, what kind of community of believers has a lot to do with what atmosphere of the spirit they'll be born out of because God is a holy God and he'll dwell more powerfully in a, in a temple of holy people. So let's uh, end with that tonight, Uh, this born out of the spirit. We know we passed out of death into life because we love their brethren. He who does not love abides in death. So one of the things you want to do is, is, don't look for this quick reaping mentality. Look for a spiritual prenatal development that includes hearing the gospel, uh, examining who Christ is, coming under conviction, being, being on, in an ongoing one-on-one evangelistic Bible study, and being in fellowship as much as, there, as possible. The more they want to hang around, the more it's a vital sign that God is drawing them. But that doesn't necessarily mean you jump in and pray with them to receive Christ. We'll go in future messages. We'll go over how you know uh, what stage of prenatal development they're in. Amen.